Mike has asked that we do a, a little series at our times together over the, the next months on team matters. And uh, uh, because I guess, you know, I, I, I have the privilege of being part of a great team over many years. Um, uh, here, I, I'm kicking it off with a session this afternoon. I want to talk about the culture of teams, setting the culture. Um, I feel a little bit like... Um, um, Roberto Di Matteo, um, who was briefly Chelsea manager a year or so ago, um, who despite his lack of experience and whatever, he somehow managed to lead Chelsea to the European Cup, winning the Champions League. Of course, he got sacked shortly after. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, and, oh, actually, and then uh, classically in... Um, that the, the words of John Terry, not normally known for his philosophical insights, uh, he came out with that, with that line, whoa, it was that destiny, wasn't it? You know, and um, I, I, I feel a bit like that, you know, in terms of kings and what, what God has done in and through us over the last 24 years. Um, and uh, I, I've just been hugely, hugely, hugely blessed and privileged to be to be in that team context, working in that team context over the last 20 or so, so years. And um, I, I, I want to set, the, I want to set the tone today, uh, really picking up lots of the, the, the uh, things that have been said already today that Mike shared this morning, um, just in terms of the kind of culture that, that we, we want to be working in, that God called us to, to, work, to work in. And, and I want to begin by, by telling my story. <laughs> I haven't, you know, I don't know if I've ever told my story, uh, going back to how I kind of got into ministry, how, how I, life in church ministry developed for me. I want to take a bit of time, if you'll allow me, to tell my story. Uh, I, I, used to, I used to work in, uh, in London. I worked for the BBC in London, and uh, I, I, I was part of Kensington Temple then. I was a deacon at Kensington Temple. Um, and uh, I, I met Angie there, which was fun. And um, <laughs> I, always, I generally say we, we met in a phone box, which sounds terrible, but it's... <laughs> see, let me explain that. Um, Angie, I used, to lead a, I used to lead a coffee bar outreach on the streets of Notting Hill Gate on a, on a Friday night. Uh, we'd start about 10 o'clock. We'd go out on, on the streets of Notting Hill Gate and just tell people about Jesus. I mean, it, it, was, it was great. It was wild. It was, and Angie sort of... Uh, ran this and kind of made it. She was there with me, part of this whole deal. And, of course, at the end of the evening, about two in the morning, you generally had some people who had nowhere to sleep and you had to find a hostel or somewhere for them to spend the night. So Angie and I would be wedged in a phone box, trying to, you know, ringing up all sorts of people, trying to find somewhere for them to spend the night. And uh, that's how it all began. <laughs> um, so I was at Kensington Temple and um, my... Uh, here's, here's an important point, actually. A, a, a guy called Lyndon Bowering was the uh, assistant pastor there. Some of you might know Lyndon. And there's me as a young guy. Lyndon saw something uh, in me, and he trusted me. And he, when everyone else was dead and dying, he'd put me up to preach and things. And uh, I'd take Bible study. I, you know, literally, he trusted me. And he... He, he took me into, you know, into his life a bit, and uh, uh, he then encouraged me to go off to. I went to, to, to uh, London Bible College, uh, met a young guy called uh, Dave Holden, um, who was 
when he left, he was going off to, to be with this guy called Terry Virgo um, down in Seaford. There was no new fronties or anything like that. And I went back, I went into Elim ministry. Well, that's, that's what I did. I mean, you know, I was at Kensington Temple. I went into the Elim ministry. And I first of all, went to Derby, where it was a great city, really good city church. I learned something there that, that they'd had two... They had two leaders, two pastors over in, in, in 20 years. They had, lo- they had long stay guys there, and it showed. There was a church that just, it was, re- it was a good, good church. Um, then I got moved down to um, uh, uh, South End on Sea. I, I, I took over a church in Westcliff on Sea, so some of you are down that part. And um, it, life was, it suddenly, uh, there I was in this very traditional church, and I was the man. Um, now, I've done one-man ministry, okay? And I didn't much like it. Let me tell you about Now, the reason I'm telling you this is that, consider it church history, okay? It was quite a long time ago, but consider this church history because, you know, it's interesting to understand how we get where we are and what went before. Do you know what I'm saying? And I want you to try, I want to try and explain to you how this whole restoration thing began. Because there, there I was. I found myself in Westcliff-on-Sea. I was the man. I was the professional. I'd been to Bible college. I was the key to the church's future. Everything depended on me. That, that, that was the way it was. I was expected to be multi-talented, really. You know, I was running the Sunday meetings, that was totally my, my deal. Preaching, teaching, leading worship, all of those twice, of course, you know, uh, morning and evening. Um, I don't think I took the offering, but I might have done, you know. Everything was down to me. Actually, I had to fill in a feedback sheet every month that went off to headquarters. And there were boxes for ticking how many times I'd preached, how many people I'd visited. Oh, and I I could tell you some... No, no, don't go there. Um, (laughs) I'm all right. I, <laughs> I had these visiting cards. And I, I mean, the church, God forgive me, the church was just, there's a lot of old people in the church. Bless them. Lovely, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, but um, I kind of, you, you kind of drink so much tea, can't you? You know what I mean? And uh, so I, I kind of worked out that sort of mid-afternoon, quite a lot of them would be asleep. So I used to tiptoe down the path, tap very quietly on the door. Oh, there's no one in. Put a card through the door. <laughs> Tick another box, you know, I've got another one. <laughs> so, it, it, I mean, it was, I had to report, you know, how many, how, all these boxes for me to, to, to tick. I was doing all the stuff. I, I mean, uh, I remember actually when, it really was like this. I'm not telling, telling fibs. I remember when, um, when, when, when uh, our daughter was born, when Ali was born, it was very inconvenient because <laughs> she, she was born about three o'clock Sunday morning. Well, I mean, that's kind of tricky, right? So I was there at three o'clock in the morning doing the stuff, and uh, then, you know, obviously I I buzzed off home. And, of course, I'm responsible for Steve, who's kind of two and a half, and he's like a human dynamo who I... I, and, and, uh, and And I had to go to the meeting, and it all went wrong. 
I left the lawnmower in the garden. He ran into the lawnmower. He busted his teeth and he was covered in blood. And I had to, I had to go to the meeting and preach and do the stuff. And I turned up at the hospital in the afternoon to, to, to see Angie. And I've got a bloodied son who's just, you know, and it, that, that was life, you know, because I was the man. And it all came down to me. And, and it was pretty hard work. And you'd go to denominational meetings and there was kind of a pecking order depending on the size of your church. Well, that's obvious because, you know, the size of a church affected how, that, that, that told how efficient you were. And, uh, and so if a church got bigger, you, you might get a letter in the post offering you a bigger church. That, that's, that's how it works because you're the man and how, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so it, it was squarely focused on me. Leading the church was my job. It was my project. And my performance was judged by those statistics and how skillfully I kept everyone happy. And the, the result was that I worked very hard and I ticked all these boxes in this task-driven game and I wasn't very happy. I, I, I tried to impress my colleagues because, um, well, especially my superiors because they could open doors to me, you know, yeah, we're doing very, very well, you know, and so whenever you went to meetings, it was, uh, you know, reports of how many you had, you know, and you'd, you'd sort of try and remember the numbers of a particularly good Sunday a few months back and <laughs> add a few chair legs to the numbers. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it was a bit like that. Um, I, I devoured church growth books because, hey, anything. I mean, you know, we'll do anything. We've, we've got a, it's down to me. So I, I, I used to buy lots and lots of church growth books and, of course, my, my ego was boosted when we had extra people on a Sunday, and I went home happy. And uh, my ego was bruised when we had a, uh, a down week. Uh, people were down. When people left, I got very discouraged because it was all about keeping everyone happy and building this thing. And, and so the, the, the pressure's building. I was determined not to go the way of my predecessor, who in his mid-30s had a breakdown. Um, he still lived down the road. I, I went to visit him, poor chap. He's a lovely guy. He, he sort of crashed out um, in his early 30s. Um, I remember the day when Angie banned church growth books in the house. <laughs> She'd worked out that they depressed me. <laughs> so she said, no, no more of those jolly books. No, really, this, you ask her, it's true. Uh, uh, it, she, you know, she she really she she realised that they just they were just winding me up and not not really helping me. See, I loved Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I really did. I loved Jesus, and I was determined to serve him and and to please him. But I was lonely. I was emotionally up and down. I was insecure in my ministry. Always checking for results and affirmation, I wasn't very happy. And here's the thing. I was one of thousands and thousands of men in ministry across this nation. That, that's, that's what many, many, many people in ministry were, stroke, are, still like. I, so I started buying broadcast magazine and I uh, started looking for jobs in the BBC and ITV, you know, uh, uh, thinking of trying to find a way out. And then God got my attention. I was at a, a minister's fraternal. You know, generally, the, the, usually those are those awful meetings with a room full of insecure denominational leaders 
uh, all trying to put on a brave, brave face. How are things going? You know, yeah, wonderful, fantastic, you know. Um, and as you say, reeling off how uh, some good, good things that might have been happening vaguely near your church recently. And um, a guy came, a, a guy across the room uh, who was part of a, one of these new house church things began to talk about the friendships and the community life and the fresh move of the Holy Spirit in, in his church, in his fellowship. And he, here was the kind of intriguing thing. He seemed to be genu- genuinely happy. And, and so I made a beeline for him at the end of the meeting and introduced myself and asked if we could meet up. His name was Chris Chilvers, some of you might might, might know him, and uh, we, we met up, and he began to tell me about the body of Christ. That the Holy Spirit not only comes to give us gifts, but desires to really, really connect us at heart level to one another as friends. And that meetings could be wonderfully, wonderfully exciting and enjoyable when we allow the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us through each other. And, and the other thing about this guy, although he was the leader, the people that he led were his friends. They were friends. And they spent time with each other. They wanted to spend time with each other. And in their homes, they cared about each other's lives. And, and, and best of all for me was this, this deal, although he was the leader, he had a team around him of spirit-filled friends who they shared the responsibility. And there was this dynamic of the Holy Spirit in how things happened, how they did things, which was really, really liberating, really wonderful. So the teaching, preaching, prophesying, it was, there was just this dynamic of the, of the life of the Spirit in the way that they did meetings. And they, they cared for each other at a deep level and looked for every opportunity to be together. And shortly after that, God gave me a, dream, a, a, a vision, a dream, I, I don't know. It was, it's very vivid. To this day, it, it, it's had a, a huge effect on how I view and do church. And, and it was this, I think it was, it was perhaps one night when I was asleep, this, 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 this came so, so powerfully to me. I saw a corpse. I saw a human body lying perfectly still on a kind of hospital table thing. And it was being kept alive by a life support system, all the lights flashing and all the stuff happening, keeping this body alive. And, and God said to me, that's your church, the body, and you are the life support system. And, and, and he said this to me, God said to me, wouldn't it be exciting if that body came to life? Real, limb-moving, action-packed, spontaneous life. Wouldn't that be great? If we could turn off the life support system with its artificial life and exchange that for authentic, spontaneous life. Wouldn't you enjoy that a whole lot more? And, and, and that was the beginning for me, perhaps the greatest discovery of my life after coming to know Jesus. A vision of the beauty and the wonder and the life-imparting nature 
of the body of Christ, the church. A discovery that, that, that changed the course of my life. I resigned my job. I had a, young, a wife and a young family. I, I, quit. I, I resigned my job, um, went back to work uh, in television. God opened wonderfully for me a job in, in uh, uh, London Weekend Television in London, and that was a hoot. Goodness, here's the grace of God. You know, I, 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 how long ago is this? It must be 30 years ago. Uh, I remember I was, I was earning £3,000 a year. I'm telling you this because I believe in the grace of God, the goodness of God. And I, here I am stepping out because I just, God... I, this isn't the world, this isn't the wineskin that I want to live in anymore. And uh, I had an interview at London Weekend Television and uh, I went back and the boss took me on one side to, to, and he said to me, look, I, I, sorry, I really would love you to come and to work for us. Um, I was on 3000 a year, okay? He said, I really, but I'm sure was, I, I can't give you any more than £10,000 a year. <laughs> Do you think you'll be able to manage? Anyway, the grace of God, the <laughs> kindness of God, uh, God took care of us. But what I'm telling you is that we, it, there's some costly moves there because we, 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 we were in a wineskin that we just knew was not a wineskin that God wanted us to be in. And we'd seen another wineskin. And it was exciting. And it meant some radical adjustments to life and the way that we, that we did church. So that discovery uh, led to me stepping out, making some big decisions um, and becoming part of what's now known as Restoration Church. And that was about 30 years ago, and I can honestly say that those years have been amazing, fulfilling. This has been challenges. They've been fruitful, and I'm eternally grateful to God for that, 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 uh, friends like Chris and then later people like Terry and those around me now who I've walked this journey with. And here's the point I want to make. As a result of that, I'm very perplexed and a little dismayed when I see, I seem to see church leaders seemingly heading back into those old professional ministry ways. It, what do I mean by that? Well, there seems to be a tendency out there of leaders taking back exalted positions of leadership. Everything becoming strategically built around one person again. Well, we, we, we wanted to get away from that because it was killing us. And God spoke to us. There seems to be tendencies for uh, leaders to take back on board the responsibility for everything that happens in the life of the church. Guys, that nearly killed me 30 years ago. That, God God. Sp- God spoke to us radically about this. And there seemed to be a tendency among leaders. Can I say this? Am I I all right? There seems to be a tendency for leaders to get back into that box-ticking, performance-related deal of leadership. And it's no fun. And actually, Arnold Bell and I used to sort of, you know, is this a sign of, being old boys together, you know, we'd have a glass of wine late in the evening after training. We, 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 we'd talk about this and we'd say, do you know what? One of these days we might just have to restore the church all over again because there's a tendency to get back into the very things that we, 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 we felt God calling us out of. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm pushing the pendulum, okay? Allow me to push the, the pendulum. Um, and and I, 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 you know, 
please hear me here. I, you know, I, I want to try and alert us to, to understand um, how things go, what, what's happened, the culture that we've grown up in, so that we can be alerted to things that might not be helpful for us. And so this, this is the background, the motivation that I'm bringing to this, this series that Mike's asked me to do. And, and uh, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I, I, just to talk about um, this whole box ticking deal, I, I know it, it, in, in, in the sake of mission, it, it, we, we often we, we, we're doing a lot of this stuff for the sake of mission, and, and I, understand, I understand that. But I think what we've got to realize is that actually the body of Christ, the church, is the mission. And in fact, it's the equipment for the mission. And it's not just a means to an end. And, and, and okay, let me, my, let me just have a little rant here. Um, guys and gals, please... Be, 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 beware, be, be careful with statistics. At the end of the day, they will beat you up. Statistics will never captivate your heart and propel you in ministry. Only a vision of a glorious church will do that. Statistics might egg you along, encourage you along for a bit, but they will beat you up. It's interesting, you know, Dave, I know people say, well, there's numbers in Scripture. Yeah, I know that. But it says, you know, on, on Dave Pentecost, he says there were about 3,000. You know, well, that sounds like a round number. Yeah, there were quite a lot. You know, it doesn't say there were 2,943 and two dogs. It, it, so I'm just kind of saying, I, I want to have a vision for a glorious church. I, 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 yes, that, 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 that pumps the blood around my body. But do be careful of statistics, because at the end of the day, and by the way, don't, don't, don't miss the fact that statistics are the way that the culture works right now, okay? It's, it's all about statistics, isn't it? Have you, have you spotted that? Political parties and everything else. Please be alert. That's the deal of the day. Statistics are everything. Appearances are everything, right? That in our culture, that's the way things are. All right, end of rant. Um, so... Uh, Guys, I'm doing this because, I, as I say, I, I want you to understand uh, what I believe God, how God set us off on this, this trajectory that, that we're on. I'll be spending quite a lot of attention on eldership teams in particular, uh, not exclusively, but I, I do feel that they're at the heart of our churches and, and, and what we model there should and does affect the way that we do teams right the way across the life of the church. So let me... Let me move on here to uh, this, this whole thing of the body of Christ. Uh, a little quote from um, uh, um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. The church should be the most exciting and thrilling place in the world. And if she is not, we are somehow or other quenching the spirit. Folks, that, that, that was our discovery 30 years ago, that the body's coming alive. <laughs> The, 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 you, you never quite knew what's going to happen when, when the body of Christ comes together, the, the gifts and so on. Beautiful. So this thing, fundamental for me then is that the vision of the church as a living, moving body of Christ and the values of multiplicity and diversity of the gifts that I see in the New Testament and that Jesus distributed, distributes to people uh, for the life and functioning 
of the church. This is beautiful. It's exciting. It's, it's full of life. Ephesians 4, 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. You don't, you don't need me to tell you, but I'll remind you. There are a variety of gifts, the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empower, empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So in one sense, the whole of the church is a team. You see, there is to be organic, spontaneous life in the church. That's how it should be. That's the wineskin. And so I think if we're consistent as charismatics, we must reject the pattern of church life where punters come along and sit passively while the professionals do the stuff. That's not the body of Christ. It's something else, but it's not the body of Christ. I understand why non-charismatics do that, because they haven't got much alternative. But, But, hey, the body is alive and needs to be functioning. And... I, 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 by the same token, I would say, you know, in ter- when, the, when, the, when the church comes together on the first day of the week, if, if it's not a priority to allow the body to be the body, then I think we've, we've lost something. Now, I'm not saying we do, we're not missional in that. Of course we want to be missional in that. But we don't want to lose sight of how the body works. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. It's interesting, evangelicals, of course, right through the history of the church, uh, the, the meeting on the first day of the week was, was for the body to be gathered together. That, 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 that was what the meeting was for. Um, it was, so it was, it, was, it, was, it was for the sake of, of the church. Um, evangelicals, of course, with a, a missional intent, started doing sort of gospel services at 6 o'clock in the evening. Or was it 6.30? I can't remember. 11 o'clock, whatever. You know. and so, uh, uh, but, but they still kept that sense of the, 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 the first day of the week, the gathering is for the body. It seems to me in some settings we're, we're losing that and, uh, and we say, well, we, we do the, the, the body stuff somewhere else. But, but when we come together... That's it, it's passivity and platform. Folks, I, I don't think that's the body of Christ. I think there's something where it's a backward step that we're, that we're doing there. You see, the church in the New Testament is organic. Let's look at the language. Describe it in Acts 6. In those days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The Twelve summons a full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve at tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we'll appoint for this duty. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. Uh, I've just noticed this. All the names here, I've never seen them before. We know Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte, a, proselyte, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of churches, church, disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became um, obedient to the faith. You see, there's a wonderful spirit fueled dynamic at the heart of the mission 
of the church. A self-propagating, organic growth that's inherent in the gospel and the life of the spirit in, 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 in the family of God. So we, we mustn't, we mustn't, we mustn't shut the body down and go back to those old professional ways. Colossians 1.16, to be at the gospel which has come to you, indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the first day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So therefore I think it, it's imperative that we get the right wineskin for how we want to do, to do church. If we start to manage church in a, in a way that businesses are managed and so on and so forth, micromanaging things, and uh, it's not long before we're beginning to suffocate spontaneity and, and initiative and, and things begin to just be, be planned out, mapped out, straight lines and, and all the rest of it. Whereas instead we need to have, a, a, I think, approach of, of watching, looking, releasing, nurturing. It's a whole different approach. The management approach is, is top-down. And, 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 and directives and, and, and everything comes, comes from the office and, and, and people are kind of a, a means to an end to get something done. That, that's the, that's the, the, um, uh, the organisational way. So the church is organic, but that's not all it is. As Tim Keller points out in Centre Church, by the way, it's a great, great book, Centre Church. It's, 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 it's organic, but it is also organisational. Okay, and looking again at that passage in Acts 6, when the Spirit's moving, they're appointing some offices in the church. And so there's, there's deacons and, and, and other, those things are being put in place. To, uh, so it is organisational, but it, it's, a, it's a particular type of organisation that needs to be built around um, uh, this organic growth. A quote from Tim Keller. Paul's behaviour indicates just how important it is for these dynamic, spontaneously growing churches to have an authority structure as a way of ensuring that members would embody the church's apostolically inherited teaching and purpose. So it's like there's an organisation which is to, to steer, to channel this life in, the, in, in an appropriate way. It's not a free-for-all, but it is organic. And that's the, the thing we need to be to be careful with. So the same spirit who generates spontaneous life and gives diversity of gifts also gives gifts of oversight, of governance, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and so on. And the balancing of these two aspects of the spirit's work is what makes for a healthy New Testament church. And I think that's what our leadership is all about. The organic and the organizational and keeping it in the right perspective. So, setting the culture, garden or factory. This is so vital. This makes the difference to the, the culture of the church that, that you are building. In, uh, in working out what the organisational component looks like, we need, to, uh, we need an appropriate style on our leadership teams so that we don't just go the way of the culture around us. Leadership throughout church history, it has often it has been shaped by culture big time. Um, uh, it, it, that, that, that's 
been the way that it's been through the years. By the time of Constantine, uh, of course, the, it had become an institutional hierarchy. That's the way the church was by Constantine, the priesthood and so on. Um, and uh, uh, the Reformation reformed doctrine, but didn't reform leadership. It just replaced priests with teachers. People still came to the professionals. And our culture, just thinking of the culture that we're in, it's a consumerist, uh, it's an, it's an urban, uh, urbanized consumerist society, uh, culture. And if you're not careful, churches, church leadership can just follow the way of the culture. And uh, leaders, if they're not careful, will now be shaped more uh, by management strategy than by the Holy Spirit strategy. Leadership magazine, if you ever look at it, it's more about, it's more about management than, than theology management techniques and so on. So the church leader quickly can become a manager. But I just want to beat this drum that, guys, let us be careful. Let, let, in, in the culture that we set, please, let, let's look back to, to, to where we've come from. Let's look back into Scripture. Let's look back to the way that Jesus led and find a wineskin that is appropriate to what we find in Scripture. And I want to suggest that leadership in a church setting is more akin to the task of a gardener than the director of a company. And it's not just because I've got an allotment recently, okay? Um, but it, 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 because of the organic growth, our task is more about nurturing, steering, developing, releasing, enjoying the growth that's happening rather than directing and, and, and finding, being responsible for everything that happens, taking back on that mantle of, of the life support system for the body while it becomes in, uh, increasingly passive. So let's just, we'll stop for coffee in a moment. Um, Let's just see how, uh, how, how these things, how these two different cultures vary. In the case of a CEO or a company manager, everything emanates from his office and he is key. And in fact, he has his team. And in that CEO culture, you know, it's a hire and fire culture. When the CEO goes, quite often the team goes with him and they bring it, the new CEO brings in a new team. I kind of see that happening in, church, in churches nowadays. And I'm thinking, that's not authentic eldership. Just because a lead eldership, a lead elder has, 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 has moved, why should the eldership be disbanded? You know, what, what's going on there? Uh, it, well, that smacks a little bit of culture of the world the, 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 that's, that's going on. Um, workers give themselves to carry out the mandate of the CEO. The people become a means to an end. Uh, the end product, of course, the, t the ticking boxes deal, the balance sheet deal of um, the organisation going, going ahead uh, uh, for the future. That, that's the kind of... Uh, I I'm exaggerating. You know, I'm pushing the pendulum. Please get me right. I hope I've got a few friends left. Um, but the gardener, on the other hand, he doesn't live in an office, but he, he lives in the garden. Another, can I have another little rant? Um, Paul, Paul, Paul exhorts the elders, the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is under your care. I hate it when I hear elders saying, I am not at all pastoral. Well, you shouldn't be an elder. You might, that might not be your primary gifting, but if you don't have a heart for people, if, please, don't, if you, okay, you may have said it in a bad moment. You know, I, I understand that. We've had bad, oh, I wish I wasn't a pastor. <laughs> but, but folks, you know what I'm saying here? Please don't, don't, don't say that with any sense of pride. I'm not at all pastoral. Because if it's true, you shouldn't be an elder. 
because Paul exhorts elders to shepherd the flock of God. Now, you, as I say, it may not be your primary gifting, but we, and you, we pass to people through different ways, through our preaching, through our teaching, and all those things. Um, so the gardener, he, he's in the garden, he's watching, he's observing the growth. He's working hard. He's not a slacker, but he's nurturing, he's training, he's watering, he's gardening. And that's so much more fun. It's not all emanating from him. But he's seeing that he's part of the equation and, and there's this wonderful, spontaneous life. And he encourages that life. He, he waters it. He doesn't put a lid on it and stop it. Oh, it's not on the agenda. Wait till next year. No, he, he sees the life and he nurtures it, steers it and directs it. He's very aware that he isn't the key. He's very aware that the life is in the seed, in the plant. And he encourages that, that growth. Folks, I've taken some time to lay a foundation in this. But I, basically, I think this is so important. I, and I'm, I know I'm, I'm pushing a pendulum. And you may think, well, yeah, we, we understand all this. I just want to alert you to what I see in, in, going on in the culture of church life. See, basically, here's the point. Jesus has purposed that his church goes forth in the world in a unique and very wonderful way. Yeah, do you believe that? Jesus has purposed that his church should go forth in the world in a unique and very wonderful way. It's not a business. Secondly, that he has ordained that it should grow and increase with a growth that is from heaven a supernatural growth, a propagated growth that's dynamic and, and organic. And this calls for a style of leadership that is equally unique, that is Holy Spirit sensitive, that is Jesus dependent as the head of the church and is God glorifying a pattern that actually is modelled in the Trinity. So actually... I, I, want, I, I want to make this point that the Trinity is the model for us. Jesus said in John five nineteen, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own according to what he sees, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. This is the model for our leadership, the Trinity. John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak of his own, his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. This is wonderful dynamic of, of life and happening emanating from the Trinity. John seventeen twenty. I don't ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me th through their word, that they may be one just as we are. <laughs> Father in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the mission that we have comes from God, the Trinity. That's, here's our model, this wonderful dynamic in the heart of the Trinity. This wonderful relational going. Hey, the first word that comes to mind when you think of the Trinity is, is three in one. This wonderful dynamic of unity that comes out of the Trinity. As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And he breathed on and said to them, receive the Spirit. And so if, if, if the Trinity is our model, Jesus', Jesus pattern was first not to give his disciples tasks, but to gather them into fellowship, into friendship with him. That's different. Yeah, tasks, friendship. This has come through already today, but are you with me? He didn't, his first job was not to give them tasks, but to gather them into friendship, into fellowship with him. 
In fact, he resisted the crowds to give himself to the twelve. They were his priority. And so if Jesus is in our, in our, our model, this, this, this unity, this oneness, this relational thing should be part of how we begin to shape and form our teams. When we work as teams, it's not so much about job description. I think this has already been said today. It's about giving our lives to one another at heart level, flowing out of our devotion to Jesus and wanting to please him. Folks, this is where team begins. It doesn't begin with finding the, the smart gift in the room. It starts with finding the life joint in the room. You with me? This is the body of Christ, this wonderful dynamic. And this takes time. Jesus took time over this. I mean, goodness me, you could, the urgency of his mission was greater than the urgency of your mission. <laughs> yeah? And yet he took his time over, giving himself to the twelve. So should we. He hung out with them. He went on walks with them. He went fishing with them. He went sailing with them. He took them up mountains to pray with him. He was patient with them, even when they were total headbangers, talking about who's the greatest and all that. He was patient with them, and he genuinely loved them. Is this, is this, is this a good model? I like it. I think, oh, I like this. I like the smell of this. I want to live in this. Don't you? I do. I really do. Does anyone else want to? I, I tell you, I really, really, really do. It's what, this is, uh, I tell you, I don't want to be that one-man band. We must carry to this to those that we, that we serve. This is part of being missional. This is part of the revelation that the disciples had that they were to pass on, that this wonderful sense of, of, of unity flowing with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this, this wonderful enlarging, it's kind of carrying the heart of God, the Trinity, to people. And it, it's wonderful what... Um, um, uh, right, yes, in, in, in um, um, Acts 2... John, sorry, John, in John, John, John chapter 1. That which was in the beginning, we've heard, we've seen, we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. It was made manifest. We've seen, we testify, proclaim to you. Uh, we've seen and heard that you too may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and, the, and with Jesus Christ. It's this dynamic of relational connect that is, at the, heart, that, that is the, the, the springboard for mission. So Jesus looks for teams that are one as we are one. As, as you sent me into the world, Father, so I send them. This is the mission. So, we, so folks, we must avoid individualism and go for long-term trusting relationships. The king model of church leadership can easily promote elitist, lonely individuals. Lead elders who mustn't get too close, even with fellow elders around him, because he might have to fire them one day. You've heard that said, haven't you? Folks, that's not, that's not our model. That, that's, that's, not, that's not the way we do it. That, that's going back to the old... I remember they used to say to me in Bible college, don't get too close to anyone in the church. Have your friends outside of the church, but in the church, you are the... 
you're the professional. Keep people at arm's length because it needs to be that way. That's garbage. Total garbage. We're the body of Christ. We have relationships that are deeper than anywhere else. And through those relationships, Jesus is manifest to the world. Right? And, and I see this professionalism creeping back in and, 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 and guys becoming one, one step removed. And, and I think, God, is this, is this the, is the wineskin that, that, that you've called us to? I don't think that it is. The Trinity model is friendship on a mission. Friendship on a mission. I'll, just a couple more sentences, then, then I'll stop and we'll take a, a short break. Folks, I believe that this, it, this is where the culture begins. We've touched something here in terms of the relationship in the Trinity. And it's, it, it, it should be the place where we start in terms of the culture that we create. It's a, it's, it's a culture that's not set through systematic theology or leadership te- technique or strategy but through life, relationship in life. And this is such a wonderful, powerful dynamic in, in the life of the church. It, it's, it's not only friendship, it's, it's friends on a mission, but it is friendship too. Neither is it workaholism. It, it's being including in fellowship in a way of living the mission of the Trinity. And folks, I believe there's adjustments that we need to make uh, in this respect. And I, if you think I'm preaching to the choir... Um, oh, that's not a very culturally helpful phrase, is it? Uh, preaching to the choir means, if you imagine the vicar, the choir always there, and they hear it every week, so they don't need telling again. Um, preaching to the choir means you're speaking to people who don't need, don't need to hear it. Okay? Uh, sorry, I mustn't do that. Um, in case you think, oh, Goff, you're exaggerating, we don't need this stuff, we, we're just, you know, we're just, we don't need this stuff. There was a, some of you may know that there was a, an elder in one of, one of the new, a new Frontiers church called Sean Gubb who wrote uh, a master's degree thesis on uh, uh, what it's called a comparative study of New Frontiers lead elders fit for purpose. Have any of you seen that? How many of you have heard, you've heard of this? Okay. This was in uh, 2000. I, I'll leave you with this encouraging stuff whilst you go for coffee. Let me just read a couple of things. Um, this is thesis. Um, a few introductory comments. The goal to reach 1,000 uh, churches, New Frontiers has identified a pressing need to develop lead elders. And this study has used empirical theology to investigate the actual perceptions and practice of New Frontiers lead elders who are key influencers on the movement's growth. Um, in addition to understanding New Frontiers leaders, leaders themselves, uh, we've compared them with other church leaders. We've, um, by making comparisons, it's possible to identify areas of strengths and areas of possible weaknesses among New Frontiers lead elders uh, that might influence New Frontiers' ability to reach its goal. Data has been drawn from a wide background, um, two th- uh, um, uh, 754 Evangelical Alliance churches, uh, 6,680 clergy from Australia and New Zealand and so on. Oh, there's a report called Happy But Exhausted. That's great, isn't it? Um, anyway, they, 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 they sampled, they spoke to a high, I think about 70% of New Frontiers lead elders. And uh, let me give you a few of their findings. Okay. Um, 
When investigating the perceptions leaders have of their roles, New Frontiers leaders want to be preachers, teachers and pioneers. Evangelical Alliance leaders also want to be preachers, teachers and so on. However, instead of wanting to be pioneers, they want to be pastors. Uh, uh, the biggest discrepancy between the roles they want for themselves and the role leaders perceive their congregations want for them are the roles of manager and counsellor. New Frontiers leaders fail to meet their own expectations in ministry in the following roles. They want to pray. They want, they want to be to be evangelists, and they find themselves frustrated. Here's the crunch. Listen to this. New Frontiers leaders report that they are in a good state of health. That's encouraging, isn't it? However, they're more confident of their spiritual health than their physical health. They're least confident of their emotional health. It could be a matter of concern to the movement that 22% of New Frontiers leaders report their emotional health to be poor or middling compared to just 6% of Evangelical Alliance leaders. New Frontiers leaders score more highly on the scale of emotional exhaustion in ministry than a comparative study of over 6,000 other church leaders. Of particular note is the response to the question, quote, I am invaded by sadness I can't explain, where twice as many New Frontiers leaders are able to agree or strongly agree with this statement. More New Frontiers leaders find themselves spending less and less time with people, a typical sign of emotional fatigue. I could, I could go on. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I, I hope I'm, it has discouraged you, hasn't it? Sorry. But, I, folks, I, I'm saying that because we're highly, we're, 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 we're highly missional, passionate people about what we do. And we're passionate to serve Jesus. We're passionate to see the kingdom come. But I, I, I just want to say to us, hey, let it be fun. Let it be in that wonderful, life-giving context that Jesus always planned it to be. The body coming alive. Don't get back into that box-ticking deal of professionalism where you think that it's all down to you and you carry it heavily and you're, and, and you're analysing it constantly and it's killing you, let alone what it's doing to your wife. Folks, I, I, I want to help us set a culture that I think God's already been speaking to us about this morning. A culture where deep, deep friendships exist. Where... Uh, that wonderful sense of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit <laughs> is, is evident. We're, we're seeing that happen in uh, our midst. We're going to take a break there, and I, I, want, to, I want to just bring a, a positive note after coffee that will hopefully lead us into prayer. I'll put some points up there you can think about while you're grabbing a coffee. Take a break. How long do we, should we take, do you think? Fifteen. Sorry to have overrun a bit, got carried away. Back in 15 minutes and we'll be very encouraging then, okay? <laughs> See you then.